Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon, along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from Luke's Gospel, reading from the 15th chapter. We will hear the middle of three consecutive parables that Jesus shared about lost things and the great rejoicing that happens in heaven. The first one is the parable about the shepherd that loses one sheep and searches diligently until finding that sheep. The third parable is the one that we typically refer to as the prodigal son, about the lost son who a father goes to welcome home. This one comes from that same chapter, from verses 8 through 10. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let us pray. We give thanks, O God, for the unbreakable nature of your love, for this moment that brings us together, and for the ways your Spirit continues to stir in our midst. We ask for that gift now, that we might hear the message that you intend, and be strengthened to respond in ways that bring you glory and honor. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two weeks ago today, my mother suffered a major stroke. She had been living at the time in a care facility in Davidson, North Carolina, and so she received wonderful support immediately. It had been about a month or so earlier that my siblings and I had talked and realized that it was time to bring in hospice. And we were also in agreement about what mom's wishes were in terms of what medical care she did and did not want. Years earlier, she had prepared a scrapbook for the five of us where she mapped out key events in her life and specifically talked about her faith over the years. And it was in some of those final pages that she talked about how she did not fear death and instead gave us some detailed plans of what she wanted us to do when the end drew near. Thus, my siblings and I didn't have to talk about any of those things. And instead, in the days after the stroke, could sit with her, hold her hand, sing to her her favorite hymns, and FaceTime with loved ones. On Tuesday, Mom breathed her last. Any of you who've ever been through an experience like that knows that it's quite natural when your mind starts racing between the past and the present, between memories and tasks to be completed, and that was true for me as well. And so as I began thinking about this morning, I very intentionally set out to 
find those biblical images for God that are feminine images. And there are quite a few. We've heard three of them already. Of one who seeks mercy like a maid from her mistress. Of one who experiences calm like a weaned child with its mother. Of a woman who searches diligently for a coin and upon finding it celebrates with her neighbors. Those are not the only biblical texts that give us feminine imagery for God. For elsewhere, we can read about God as being like one who gives birth and one who is in labor pains, of one who comforts us like a mother, and of one who will forever remember her nursing child. One of the best summaries that I heard of sort of that overall biblical depiction of God came from a scholar who wrote this. God is the loving, compassionate, comforting mother who, though regularly pained and aggrieved and fatigued by her own children, welcomes them back to her arms and bears them up along a difficult way. That was true of my mother as well. Thus, on this day, I'd like to talk to you about her, an imperfect woman who raised an imperfect son, and yet who throughout her days modeled love and encouragement, support, and abiding faith. And I share with you this story not because it is suggesting it is the only model, but rather one as encouragement for all of you for the key roles that you play in the lives of others still. My mother was thrilled when I became a minister. I can't think of a single time she came to visit us that she didn't also join in a time of worship. She particularly liked Holy Week. My mom fretted when I traveled to Israel, but then took the same trip with her own congregation a few years later. She loved every pastor she had. And when she would come to visit with me, she would often sneak me a donation when she didn't feel as if my stepfather was giving a full 10% back to their church. My mother bought the first robe I had after earning my doctor of ministry, and she also has contributed to countless other worship services over the years as she was the archivist for all of those items from my childhood that I will occasionally bring out to show the little ones here. First time mom came to visit in Doylestown was in 2003. I can still remember after the worship service that she was standing over here talking to a couple of you. And as I came up, she was explaining that she had recently moved to Raleigh because that was where her oldest son lived. She was trying to say that he had the deepest roots in that community and thus was the least likely of any of her children to move again. But the way she phrased it to a couple of you was, I moved there because Ed is my most stable child. (laughs) Not exactly the motherly introduction I was looking for. There's another particular memory, though, that I have of mom that's also connected to DPC. 
And it came about because of a sabbatical that you granted me four years ago. As part of that, she and I went on a trip. I wrote up that experience and submitted it as an unsolicited article to Presbyterian Outlook, which is a bi-monthly independent publication. Uh, and the editors chose not to publish it. So what that means is, I don't need their permission today to share with you much of what I wrote. I entitled that article, A Journey of Gratitude. It was a gift for mom. In planning a sabbatical from the congregation I have served for 15 years, I had the idea of taking my mother on an ecclesiastical journey of her own. My father had been a PCUS pastor, and during my growing up years had served three congregations, two in Georgia and one in North Carolina. Mom loved her time as a pastor's spouse, and thus I wondered about us visiting those places again. Dad has been gone now for more than 30 years, so certainly there wouldn't be many people left in those congregations who remembered him. Still, Mom's 87 years had begun to catch up with her, and I suspected that soon this kind of trip would not be possible. When I suggested the idea, she quickly agreed. So I contacted the congregations we would visit on weekdays to confirm their office hours, and I made arrangements to stay with family for much of our journey, and one night would live a friend of hers for over 50 years. On the morning our August adventure began, I arrived at Mom's retirement community a few minutes late, and she was sitting in the lobby with all of her luggage around her, and I soon learned that she had awakened at 1 a.m. and had come down to the front door then. Thankfully, a staff person had encouraged her to go back to her room until it was closer to the time. Mom consented, but I suspect she did not go back to sleep. Over our miles together, we saw the baptismal font where the waters of life were sprinkled on my newborn head by a great uncle, and a church where, as an eight-year-old, I skipped worship to finish building a raft with my friend Jimmy. That wooden structure never saw a drop of water, and for days I didn't see the outside of our house either. <laughs> we saw the steps to the manse, parsonage, where as a toddler I hit my head and created a scar that is still visible. The house where my third grade soul preached a two-minute sermon to our family gathered in the living room and the pulpit where as a high school senior I delivered a homily on Youth Sunday. Along the way, there were these planned and serendipitous encounters with special people from her past. Our journey wasn't all roses. The congregations served by Dad reflect the recent history of the PCUSA. As one has joined the Evangelical Presbyterian Church and another is struggling to stay open. The third went through a split with half of its membership following its pastor to start another church in the same town ironically called Grace. Still, the most emotion-laden part of that trip for me came on our visit to Columbus, Georgia. 
My father served as pastor of First Church there in the late 1960s. A gifted preacher and pastor, the congregation had more than a thousand members when we arrived and it grew under his leadership. Yet one day, three days in, my mother gathered my siblings and the seventh grade version of me into their bedroom to tell us that they were getting a divorce. You've probably noticed that things haven't been going well for your father and me, she began, and I was stunned and blurted out, but ministers don't get divorced. We soon learned that wasn't true and began a transformative journey. But looking back, that moment marked the start of my mother's most inspiring decade. While trained as an educator, mom had not worked outside the home during their marriage, but now she needed a job. Acquiring an emergency certificate, she found a position teaching 10th grade English at the same school my older brothers attended. As an aside, I also had my mother for 10th grade English and decided when I began ministry, I would stop sending her printed copies of my sermon <laughs> for fear she'd break out her red pen. We, all, we had always lived in a manse, church housing, but now she had to find a house for us. Mom took classes in the evening and on Saturdays, earning a master's degree, and perhaps most impressive of all, on the Sunday after my father's resignation, she led us back to worship at our pew, four rows from the front, fully aware that whispers reverberated around the congregation. Through all the days and years that followed, the five Willingham children were sustained by her love and encouragement. We never missed a meal, and I can't recall a time that she missed one of our sporting events or concerts or award ceremonies. We each learned how to stretch a dollar, and all of us would complete a college education. Mostly, she embodied an incredible strength. I knew all that, of course, before our trip. But as mom has slowed down in recent years, she has become less verbal and less sure of herself. I will confess to times when those changes made me less patient with her than I should have been. I grieved the toll of time on her, yet her strength remained evident to others. Her granddaughter, Kate, affectionately described mom as a bad A-woman. <laughs> Lib put it in more genteel terms. Your mom was a survivor, she said. During one of the long drives on our trip, I asked how she'd been able to keep moving ahead during those years after the divorce, and mom's response was clear. It was God, she said. The way a job opened up just when I needed it, finding a house that would keep the five of you in the same schools, and even that neighbor who offered to bring your six-year-old brother to my classroom after school every day, all of that could not have been a coincidence. Given our limited travel schedule, we worshiped in only one of our former congregations, and the pastor welcomed mom from the pulpit, referring to her as a former first lady. Everyone clapped. Memories swirled 
as I saw childhood friends serving in leadership roles and members determined to rebuild that congregation. As we came to the final verse of the closing hymn, Lib reached over and took Mom's hand. My singing ceased as that holy moment filled my heart and eyes. The next day, we visited with a former pastor of Mom's who had gone through a divorce herself at a time when her children were young adults and out of the house. At one point during lunch, she said, when the divorce was unfolding, I thought of you, Pat, and how you'd gone through the same thing with five children at home. You were an inspiration to me all those years later as I remembered the grace and strength you showed. Mom quietly took it all in, as did I. Soon thereafter, our journey ended as I dropped her back off at her community and drove back to Pennsylvania. Yet the memories of that experience continue to reverberate for both of us. Several times since, Mom has said to me, I can't believe you picked me for this journey. I feel the same, only in reverse. The six-day journey was designed for her and in many ways was exactly the blessing I hoped for, as she saw, perhaps for the last time, meaningful people and bodies of faith that had sustained her. Yet what I had not anticipated, and ultimately became the richest part of the trip for me, was to see my mother again through the eyes of others, to witness their appreciation for her and to hear of the impact she had upon each of them as well. A gift for which I can only say, thanks mom for picking me for this journey. And on this day, simply add, Godspeed mom, Godspeed. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.